Hi friend, welcome to today's episode. Today I'm going to introduce you guys to my friend and mentor, Britt Piper. She is an amazing woman with an amazing story and past, and I couldn't think of a better person to interview on the podcast for Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, This is a topic that is so important to me and close to my heart as I have had a lot of postpartum, um, postpartum depression and anxiety. And Britt was one of the people that kind of helped me finally get over a lot of it and to get past some things that were holding me back. And so I knew that when I was thinking about how could I honor mental health in moms, I couldn't think of a better person than Britt because she is a new mama and she has so much wisdom and knowledge in this area and it's really going to break it down for us so that you can understand what is happening in your body and um, some ways that you can kind of get past what you are feeling. So without further ado, I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Britt Piper. Hi there, I'm Jenna Kutcher. I'm the host of the Gold Digger Podcast, and I'm so excited that you're hearing me right now because that means that I get to introduce you to my friend, Michelle Hagen, and her podcast, The Busy Years. Michelle is a mama on a mission dedicated to inspire other women to chase their dreams and their passions no matter what season of life they're in. And I've gotten the privilege to mentor and coach Michelle. She was one of my top 10 students in my community of over a thousand women, and she helped lead and inspire other mamas just like you. And now you, my friend, you get a front row seat. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be inspired. Hi, I'm Michelle, a sales and profitability strategist, mentor, and captain of your cheering squad. But most importantly, I'm a Midwest wife and mama to two spirited boys, and I'm a lover of learning, family vacations, and nap time. I built my business between the moments of motherhood, and I know that you can do it too. Being a mama is hard, and no one should have to do it alone. That's why I'm bringing women together to share their stories of motherhood, business, and blessings. So grab your coffee, wash your dishes, hey, even take a shower, because we can do this, friend, in the middle of motherhood. You're listening to the Busy Years Podcast, where motherhood and business meet. Come tired, leave inspired. Hi, Britt. Welcome so much to the podcast. Hello, hello. I Did you hear that? I was trying to say hi yes. and hello at the same time. I'm still drinking my coffee and waking up yeah. everyone. <laughs> Sorry, I kind of was like, I'm welcoming you. Hello. I don't know. I think we mixed it both in. We... <laughs> oh, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. You guys, Britt is such an amazing woman. She has helped coach me and has coached so many other women Um in the areas of mental health and other things. And she has an amazing story. So I'm so excited to have you on today as we're honoring Mental Health Awareness Week and because maternal mental health is so important to me. Um, But before we dive in, why don't you just introduce yourself and kind of tell everyone a little bit about you? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm excited to connect kind of in this space. It's been an interesting trajectory for you and I. We Mm -hmm. met at the beginning of the pandemic and then, you know, have kind of, uh, you know, kept in touch through various modalities, I guess you could say. So I'm excited to hop on a podcast. This is a new little platform for us to connect. So, yeah. yeah, So my name is Britt Piper, um, Brittany Piper, but some people call me Britt for short. I am a healing and wellness coach. So I help survivors of trauma and adversity to move through their experiences Um, I have a one-on-one practice and a coaching program called the Functional Breakthrough Method. So that's kind of my my pride and joy right now. And I'm in the process of starting to write a book uh, centered around that curriculum. So that's kind of my new passion project, if you will. And I am also a professional speaker. So my background is in sexual Um, assault. I have a degree in women's studies with concentrations on gender-based violence and violence against women and prevention. 
and uh, I'm a survivor myself. So um, I experienced sexual assault back in 2009 and got my degree in 2012, 2013, I believe. And so my experience was very much a part of kind of that purpose and that path that I took down kind of the women's, you know, um, advocacy route. And over the years as a speaker and also just an advocate in that space, um, I've worked kind of all over the world. So I worked within trauma and rape crisis centers um, for about four years uh, here in the U.S., but mostly abroad in developing countries. And then since uh, 2012, I've I've also been, uh, like I said, a professional speaker. So I talk predominantly to college students about sexual assault prevention, response and recovery. And then I also work directly with the U.S. military. They have a program called SHARP, which is uh, the Sexual uh, Harassment Assault Response Prevention Initiative. And so I work on U.S. uh, military bases. I was going to do my first overseas event actually in South Korea when in April when the pandemic hit. So that's been postponed. Um, But I work with soldiers and civilians again in the prevention space. And then lastly, I work with sex crimes detectives as well. So I help them to um, understand kind of what happens within the body when trauma is experienced by a survivor. I help them to be more trauma-informed. So I teach Mm -hmm. them about the uh, forensic neurobiology of trauma and then how to be uh, a more empathetic witness um, and an advocate. So yeah, I kind of wear many different hats. I love that I started off with like my career I, I you're like, and you're leaving out the most important yeah. new part that but has come in the middle of, of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, in the middle of the pandemic, I, I had my first little boy, um, my first child. So I have a three month old. His name is Noah. And uh, I live in Texas. I live in Dallas, Texas with my husband. We just moved here in January. We built a home. Our home was finished being built a week before Noah was born. So Life has been um, crazy to say the least, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's that's kind of the the gist of it, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and crazy to say the least. As someone, I remember when we first met and you were pregnant, and the pandemic had started at that point, and I like was like, if you are having issues, because I had had so much like um, postpartum, and even when I was pregnant with Thatcher, I had a lot of anxieties and stuff just because his pregnancy was high risk that it was interesting that I like almost felt these things that might be coming and I was like it's okay like you're gonna get through if it doesn't all seem planned because at that point you were like no I have a birth plan it's fine and I was like but just please don't freak out if it doesn't go perfect because like as the mom of the two it's just so funny and to be standing on the other side and I can just remember being like oh and because you were really one of the only people that I knew that was pregnant and for sure going to be giving birth in the midst of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, Just knowing like what's coming, Mm -hmm. I think as someone who's on the other side um, and just being able to see what's coming, you sometimes are like, Oh my goodness. Um, I just can't imagine with moms and how so many people had to labor in the midst of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I know for you, it was, you got to have a little bit more freedom because you th- used a birthing center. Yeah. But here in Nebraska, in the middle of the pandemic, there's people wearing masks and all this stuff. And in yeah. my head, of it, and I was like, heartbreaking because I had birth traumas um, mm-hmm. that I knew what could be coming for these women. And so I was have really been praying over and Thatcher and I, like even at night praying for these moms mm-hmm. that are going to be these new mommies because I knew like what can happen yeah. Um, well, and I, I will say too, like, I actually, you know, because you used to send me messages on like Instagram, like you would comment on like my stories and be like, you're going to get through this or this or that or you know, and you were just always kind of like that, that cheerleader, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually really helpful to hear from moms like you who have been on the other side and who have, you know, kind of the more <clears throat> realistic view of how hard and messy, not just pregnancy, but also labor and postpartum can be. You know, and of course, I went into it with this big, you know, rose colored glasses, my birth is going to be beautiful. And I have this entire plan. And I'm just a very much I'm, you know, me, I'm a type A personality, I like to have control of everything. And I think that that's how 
a lot of survivors of trauma, um, that's how they just kind of walk in the world. You know, they want to have control over everything. And during my 10 week, you know, birth boot camp, getting ready for natural labor class that we took, you know, of course, the instructors and our virtual video modules that we had to watch from home because, you know, it's a pandemic and no one could leave their home. Mm-hmm. Of course, they tell you the, the the risks, you know, and they tell you this might be hard and this might happen. Mm-hmm. But I think to hear it from other moms was much more helpful for us um, because, you know, when I did have that birth that didn't go exactly according to plan, you know, it was mm-hmm. um, not exactly how I pictured it. It was really, really freaking hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think having that support of other moms who kind of been down that path and then also just knowing that they're so open and talking about how postpartum can be hard. Uh, I felt like I immediately had like this built in support system. And so, um, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is I appreciate you (laughs) and I appreciate those, those messages because, you know, um, I think those really helped me to have kind of just the fuller picture Um, Mm -hmm. And it really prepared me. I think a lot of moms go into birth and motherhood with just like, you know, it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be so easy. And um, it's, it's not, you know, Um, and even though it is beautiful, it's also really hard, you know, those, those two things coexist. And I think that's really important to, to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it is like how you said, I mean, even with Turner, my oldest, it is you go in with rose colored glasses and you come in with the birth plan and here's all the things. And if this doesn't go according to plan, here's this. And with Turner in my first birth, I was like, uh, we're not even going to talk about a C-section because that's not going to happen. Yes. Like so naive right. and stupid Yep. because it did with Turner, mm-hmm. like 20 some hours and he didn't come out. And then when they cut it, ended up having to take him out, he was never going to come out because he had turned himself sideways Mm -hmm. so it's just interesting in how you talked you know and just said that you think that it goes one way and this is where a lot of people don't realize in the mental health we always think of postpartum depression which I have experienced and postpartum anxiety and that was totally different after Thatcher but people don't realize that sometimes in birth creates a whole traumatic event especially like if you have to have a c-section right or like in both of our cases, labors that last days, <laughs> days. yeah, <laughs> forever. Mm-hmm. And you are literally in this thing of like, it's never going to come out. And we don't ever think of that as trauma. Right. And it is, which can also equate to then having postpartum depression yeah. and things happening in your body that you don't realize is going to happen yeah. to you. Well, and I think with you too, you know, um, one of the things we can probably both relate to is that at some point during that birth, we were faced with the um, possibility that your baby's life is in risk or is Mm -hmm. at risk, you know, and for us, um, you know, his uh, heart rate was dropping um, in certain positions that I was in. And of course, we were in a birthing center with midwives. And so, um, there's only so much that they can do, you know, outside Mm -hmm. of a hospital setting. And so a lot of it was, um, you know, trying to not guess, I don't want to say guess, but it was, let's try and see what the, what we think is possibly going on. And they thought that, you know, there's an umbilical cord wrapped around his neck and, um, you know, there was, it was getting to the point where the labor was getting too long, but they didn't want to naturally, you know, they didn't want to break my water because he Mm -hmm. would come down too fast. And that could be bad if the cord was wrapped around his neck. And so, you know, you're faced with these choices of, you know, how do I just keep my baby alive? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that was something that you and I had, had talked about back in the day. And Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something that I'm still kind of grappling with now. And maybe even just talking to you now, I'm like, why don't I talk about this with my therapist? I think I'm just kind of having the the realization that I might still, and why it's so hard for me to just like let Noah to go back to work and to, to let Noah, you know, have time to himself and to have time with a new babysitter. And maybe why that's so hard is because I am still in that state of like, I just want to keep you alive right now, you know, mm-hmm. um, even though it is three months past. Wow. I'm having a lot of revelation over here. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, no, and I 100% understand that because that is how, um, if people listen to past podcasts, I talk about Thatcher's pregnancy right. and I had a virus and we didn't know. And it was like one of those. And now I didn't even think I was like, maybe that was why his postpartum was so bad. And I didn't leave him forever mm-hmm. because I was afraid he was going to die. Right. Which is, and even like to go leave him. And I think you and I had talked about it the first time I left him. It was my best friend, like from mm-hmm. kindergarten, sitting at my house. It's not even five minutes down the road. And she's like, you can do this. Yeah. Like take yeah. a breath. And But the second, like I had just nursed him. He's going to be fine. And the second I left, I like panicked. But I was like, he's like, everything is around him is fine. But it's like having that mental being able to do it or to realize like if I walk away that they will be okay. Right. Absolutely. I I think because we are in the midst of a pandemic too, you know, we're kind of already in this state of survival and Mm -hmm. um, our our kids are kind of being thrust into it, you know, and with people going back to school, um, you know, with kind of the state of the world and how children are kind of being asked to show up with, masks and, you know, kind of wrapped in bubble wrap, it just, it further just, I think, perpetuates this notion that our children are in danger. And um, so for me, you know, postpartum has been beautiful in many ways, because I've been able, you know, we were talking about this earlier, I've been able to be in this little Noah bubble for like three months and just staying at home and keeping him safe inside the home and not doing anything. Um, But at the same time, you know, I noticed like, and it's something I haven't experienced before. And I was talking to my husband about this last week and my therapist, by the way. But something I've noticed is that I'm really sensitive now to like stories about children and mm-hmm. the adversity that they face and the adversity that parents face. And, you know, when someone loses a child and I just I get so emotionally wrapped up in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, yeah, when it comes to mental health and postpartum, I just don't think that people talk about it enough. Um, because sometimes I'm like, am I going crazy? Like, how am I having these thoughts? You know, like mm-hmm. of course nothing's going to happen to my child, but what if something does happen to my child? And, you know, I think a lot of moms can probably, especially new moms right now can relate because, um, you know, we're just, babies are just so fragile and mm-hmm. we're in this state and in this world that's telling us that like, we're not safe by any means. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's just, just kind of a, a weird time to be alive. It's it's beautiful and messy and hard all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and we were also talking about how your postpartum, no matter what, you are like already putting your baby in a bubble. Like if they're born in the winter, you don't go anywhere because you don't want them to get the flu. Because if they get the flu and they've had no shots, there's all these things. And um, but I have watched like with the pandemic, it's just heightened mm-hmm. and how some of us that had postpartum or anxiety after having kids, it's been interesting for me that I have already walked this road that a lot of women are feeling. And I've come out on the other side where like the sun is shining again, but there's times where things will be said or happen. And all of a sudden I can feel myself slipping back mm-hmm. in and to like tell moms that you'll come back to this place where like you worry about your baby getting sick or these things and all of a sudden you'll realize what's happening and you'll be able to stop or to realize like okay I need to like back it up and rethink like are we all safe is this a, a, a thought yeah. that is normal yeah um could this really happen mm-hmm. as to where um Sometimes when you're newly into it, I think that we forget about that because mm-hmm. you have, I know you're talking about, it, uh, you know, having all these emotions and being sensitive, but we forget and no one talks about all the hormone dumps mm-hmm. that have to mm-hmm. happen after you have a baby that do make you go a little crazy. Yes. And that's where you were like, am I having postpartum? Am I not? Because I remember after Thatcher, I was Googling it and trying to figure out is this postpartum? Am I going crazy? Do I like what's happening? But then no one really tells you, well, you also have these hormone dumps at like right after they're born and then about at four months. And then when you stop nursing and then something also happens when they turn a year and you go a little crazy. 
<laughs> but like, you know, or so that those things are normal, but it is that you do just become heightened to so much more. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I actually, it's funny that you say that last week I was talking to my therapist because that's one thing that I've, you know, remained very vigilant with throughout the pandemic. And I had stopped seeing a therapist for probably about four years. And when the pandemic started, I was like, okay, therapists, we're doing mm-hmm. this. Um, mm-hmm. It actually, actually, it started about a month before the pandemic started, um, just because I was starting to feel just weird thoughts, you know, and I was like, it's mm-hmm. time to go just talk to someone. And uh, so one thing that she said to me last week, you know, she started asking me the question, she's like, well, are you sad? do you feel depressed? And I was like, why is she asking me these questions? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, do you think I have postpartum, de- you know, de- depression? And she said, no, I don't, I don't think so. She said, I just, just want to make sure you're okay. And so then we got off the session. I, I immediately went to Google and I'm looking up the symptoms and I'm like, do I fall on this checklist of yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like, you know, kind of half yes, half no. And, um, I, but I think that there's like, there's a stigma around, postpartum, um, I don't know if it's postpartum mental illness or just postpartum depression or anxiety, but there's like a stigma that if you have it, that there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't think that that's the case. I think that for each mom, you know, their circumstance and their environment and, you know, whether they have a partner at home, however many babies they have, you know, whatever happened during their birth and labor, um, I think there's so much that goes into it and there's nothing wrong with having it. It's, I think being more open about it would allow us to have these conversations where we can come together in community and support each other and talk about how to, you know, kind of get through that mm-hmm. rather than just avoid it. Yeah. And I think like when women think to have postpartum depression, they think of the extreme to where the woman who like can't get out of the bed and like doesn't want anything to do with their baby and is thinking horrible thoughts, which there's that. But then there's like also this gray area that I think you're talking about that now being on the other side and realizing with Turner, where I probably got slipped through the cracks because I didn't mark yes to all these things of like, are you crying all the time? Are you doing these other things? And you mark like, no, but now realizing I probably had some form Mm -hmm. that was actually more birth trauma, but Mm -hmm. then it got overlooked and like, kind of swept under the rug like well you're not extreme enough to be on meds but I probably needed to talk to some like I probably needed to go to a counselor after I had him because I had trauma that had built up Mm -hmm. and I think part of his birth then stemmed into Thatcher of like it just exasperate all these other feelings came up right um and I loved how you mentioned talking to your counselor and going seeing the therapist and that you did it before things got bad because that probably in my eyes, especially with having a hard pregnancy with Thatcher, if I would have been seeing a counselor or somebody mm-hmm. while I was pregnant, mm-hmm. it probably could have stopped a lot of things. And But that's where I think people think they're weak if they go to see a counselor or therapist, you know, or there's my just so much, like you said, is- yeah, I, I don't think it's, I don't think, uh, yeah. And again, there's, there's that, that stigma around it. You know, I always say uh, one of the kind of my go-to lines when I'm on a stage talking about mental health is why is it then when, that when someone tells us they're seeing a therapist, we immediately something, we immediately think that something is wrong with them. You know, mm-hmm. um, the best way that I can describe it is it's just mental hygiene. You know, we go and we exercise in the gym, we go outside in nature and, you know, we take care of our emotional well-being. Why should we not be working on our mental well-being? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that mental health is so often overlooked, and what goes on below the surface is just as important, if not more important, in, in my opinion, than any other, you know, kind of um, health care or health health and and well-being practices that that we incorporate into our lives, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, I just I got away from therapy for a while just because it wasn't serving me in that season. But I was starting to have thoughts about bringing a boy into the world. And, you know, um, I, I talk a lot about masculinity and um, things like that. And, you know, when we talk about gender based violence. And so um, I just I had some some thoughts and some questions and I just needed help kind of working through that. And um, 
Again, I just, I think that that's just mental hygiene, but I'm glad that she's here now. Mm -hmm. I'm glad my therapist, I stuck with her because she's been such a huge support, you know, within the birthing journey itself. And she's really helped me kind of on this whole journey of what does it mean to bring a boy into the world? What does it mean to bring a baby into the world during a pandemic? What does it mean Mm -hmm. to be a mom during a pandemic? What does it mean to be a working mom? And we've just kind of transitioned from one subject to the next. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it's been been very, very useful. I actually have my appointment later today. <laughs> <laughs> You're having a whole day of, of all your own mommy care in a yeah, certain well, way. Well, usually I'm wearing wearing Noah on me when I uh when yeah. I have my, my therapy appointment. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I love how you had said why is it like the stigma around it? And earlier we talked about um before we got on here how the episode last week with Becky Thompson was talking about like, well, if you like, I have a thyroid, low thyroid. No one says like, well, you're weak because you're taking a thyroid medication because your hormones messed Mm -hmm. it up. But why can't my hormone, you know, your hormones also balance out your brain and do a lot of things to your body that people don't realize. And I know that's where you come in and teaching a lot that not only like, even if you just have mental health because your hormones or something went out of whack just because of your how your body's makeup happens. Mm. But there's also a lot of people that have mental health that there's something in their life that has triggered it yeah. and their body is holding on to it. Yes. Um, so I would love for you to kind of touch on what does that look like and what does it do to somebody's body when we have something that then triggers into our body that quite often turns into mental health. Oh man, you know, I love talking about this. I know you do. And I love hearing it. I'm like such a nerd about it. Yeah. Oh, me too. And this is, this is a lot of like what my book is going to be about. So hopefully I don't go off on like a 10 minute tangent. Please interrupt me if I get carried away here. Um, Yeah. So I guess the gist of it I think in terms of mental health, you know, and this is just my belief, and this is based on a lot of my own experiences with adversity and and trauma um, and mental health issues, but also with a lot of the survivors that I've worked with within my practice, within the trauma centers, and a lot of the research that I've done is that um, I believe that mental health and a lot of these other kind of ailments that we see going on in the world, chronic issues, um, but I, I think that mental health is a symptom of trauma. I think it is a symptom of an emotional wound. And so when we experience any kind of adversity or trauma, and I think when people hear the word trauma, they get really kind of scared. You know, it's like trauma, you know, (laughs) and it has to be like some horrifying traumatic event. And what I like to remind people is that trauma, the, the definition of trauma is any physical, emotional, or psychological break or lapse in safety. So when mommy and daddy didn't pick you up from school when you were in second grade, like those few times, you didn't feel safe, right? That's mm-hmm. that's a form of trauma. And when you go back and look at the ACEs study, which is the Adverse Childhood Experiences study that was done in the 90s, um, when you go look at the ACEs study, according to the CDC, because they, they partnered with this study, um, the instances of trauma, I think there's like 12 of them listed, but there are things like, yes, of course, physical abuse, sexual abuse, kind of those more traumatic things that we often think of, the glamorized side of trauma, mm-hmm. right? But then there's also things like emotional neglect, um, mother in the home who was treated violently, um, mental illness within the home, divorce, um, someone who's been incarcerated, there's psychological abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Um, and so, you know, there's, it's, it's a very nuanced way of looking at trauma. I always say that trauma is trauma, pain is pain. And so mm-hmm. I think when people hear my story, um, one of the first things they say to me when they confide in me about their story is, well, I haven't ex- experienced anything like you, you know, like I wasn't violently assaulted by some stranger who helped me change a tire. I didn't deal with this immediate death in my family. I didn't experience this early on in life and wasn't in foster care. And I I tell people, listen, we all carry trauma differently, you know? And so my trauma Mm -hmm. is not greater or lesser than, than anyone else's. Mm -hmm. And so I just like to kind of break that, that stigma that we hold about trauma. Now, what happens when we experience any kind of trauma is that we go into our, our nervous system goes into state of survival, 
right? So instead of being in a place, you know, you have the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, um, which is your autonomic nervous system. But instead of being in a place where you're at rest and digest, which I like to call rest and recover, Mm -hmm. um, instead of being in rest and recover, when you experience any kind of trauma, which again is a lack of safety, you go into fight, flight, or freeze. And freeze is more of a dissociative state. And so that's where, um, you know, you kind of check out of your body and um, you dissociate. And a lot of people stay stuck in that dissociated state. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see here. What do I want to share? What was your question again? That might be able to help me get back on track. (laughs) That we're talking about how in that, a lot of times, even in women's birth, that it mm. causes a trauma. And what does that do to our bodies of like how it then helps with mental health? So you're on the right track, you, you know, okay. going in, but I would love how um, to just also say, because it's so many women that listen to this and you went through the things of trauma. And I can remember how you said that people say to you like, well, it wasn't as bad as, as yours. Mm. And a lot of times with women, and I know, after Thatcher, I was like, well, he's alive. So I shouldn't feel these this way. Mm. You know, like, well, we made it through and he's alive. So it wasn't like it wasn't trauma. But really, it was all these little things that led up to it, which was trauma the whole time, which even in the in the midst of the pandemic with our kids, there's lots of little things that are trauma that we are not realizing. Um, You know, and then going into how you talked about, you were talking about the freeze, which I have talked enough and I'm open to say, like, I think you and I, when we were working together, realized that I was going into freeze and I was having the anxiety because that was the only way I could keep them safe. And that when I was pregnant with Thatcher, I just pushed all the emotions off. Mm -hmm. So I just made my brain be like, well, we're just not going to feel any of this. We're just going to pretend like it's not happening. So I'm going to stop Googling and stop doing all the things because if I do that and just don't face it, it's going to be better, which goes into the freeze of that you're talking about that I think a lot of women don't realize that, no, I was causing full trauma onto my body and it's not like, oh, my baby's born. And look, we're magic. It's, right. We're just going to magically go back to the way it was. So, okay, good. I'm glad. So I've been trying to like share, but I didn't know how much you've opened up to your audience. Yeah. So this is, this helps me. Um, so I talk a lot about the dissociative state, which is the freeze state. And the reason why I talk a lot about that state is because in particular with sexual assault victims, um, 70% of them enter into a state of freeze or uh, dissociation or what we call tonic immobility, which is where you essentially um, come out of your body and you play dead in order to survive. Um, so it's what a lot of survivors experience. And I feel like um, a lot of the clients that I work with, like you, for instance, um, that's what you've experienced as well. But kind of what happens during this this freeze state is that, like you said, we enter into a state of avoidance, right? We want to avoid all of the heavy, messy, hard stuff. Um, but just to kind of explain what goes on in the body. So, you know, we experience a trauma. Our body doesn't feel safe. Our mind doesn't feel safe. We don't feel safe within our nervous system. And what happens is um, we have this message that is sent through um, to our brain. And, um, it tells our amygdala, which is like the brain's fear response center in the back of the brain that, uh, there's a threat. And so all of our cortisol, all of our, our neural systems are rapid firing into the amygdala. But what happens is we become disconnected from our prefrontal cortex, which I always like to say, you know, it's up towards your forehead. But I always like to say that's like the mom brain. That's like the parent, you know, that's where the Mm -hmm. rationale, the thinking, the executive function is, but we become completely um, detached from that. And that's why they say when people enter into their nervous system um, in a survival state, you know, you don't think about what you're doing, your body just takes over. Mm -hmm. And that's why is because you've become dissociated or disconnected from your prefrontal cortex. What also happens is the cortisol then overwhelms your hippocampus, which is where you store your memories. And Mm -hmm. so that's why, you know, a lot of women who have um, traumatic births, a lot of 
people who experience trauma, they don't remember the entire birth, right? They'll only they kind of black out. But the interesting part is that those memories are still stored. They're just stored within the body. They're not stored within the brain. And so I've worked with clients in the past where, you know, we'll be doing body work and we'll be doing stretching or trying to ground within our bodies. And um, there's uh, a method called in- introspection, which is where you kind of hold different body parts and you kind of, you know, talk to your body parts. Um And what we were doing is we were kind of, you know, like talking to our jaw, talking to our neck. And I had a young woman who had um, faced uh, childhood sexual abuse, but she didn't remember much of it. She just, um, you know, she had entered into a free state. And as she touched her neck, she had flooding. And flooding is when those memories start to come back to you. And that's Mm -hmm. just because she was tapping into the body. And that's, there's an amazing book called um, The Body Remembers. And it talks so much about how our body stores trauma. And so that's where things like um, chronic ailments that we're dealing with, um, you know, physical ailments, a lot of that is trauma that has been stored up in your body. And so that's why things like fascial stretch therapy, um, body work, those things are so important because, um, you know, you can release that trauma from your body. Um, Sorry, I just went off on a tangent. But And I think one other thing that's really important to note is that, um, you know, what we have to do is when we become dissociated, we have to find um, our way back to safety. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the problem that we have is that we all face trauma, right? We face these things and then we're kind of just told to buck up and get over it. And then we have this surrounding stigma surrounding mental health and trauma in general, and no one wants to talk about it. So it gets swept under the rug. But what our body and what our mental and emotional system needs is to what we call regulate. So it needs to get back to a place where it feels safe. And until it does that, our body becomes a threat detecting machine, which I think we talked about when you and I worked together. Um, but it has entered into a state called neuroception. And that, again, is where we look at people's intonation in their voice. We read body language. We look at you know, we are constantly looking for the next threat or the next, um, you know, yeah, threat. And mm-hmm. so um, there's this process called affect and effect regulation. And so affect regulation, um, just kind of imagine in your mind that there's like an information highway, a two lane highway um, going up and down your spine. And this is where the messages are sent between your body and your brain. So on one side, you have the direction that goes upward, which is for the messages that are sent from your body to your brain. And that is called affect messages or affect regulation. And then in the opposite direction, you have messages that are sent from your brain to your body. And those are called effect messages or effect regulation. And what people don't understand is that 90% of the messages that are sent up and down that information highway are actually affect. So 90% of the messages that are going on within our system is sent from the body to the brain. And only 10% is sent from the brain to body. And so our body is really in control. Um, and I think that, you know, mental health is is so, so important. But when you talk about mental health, you have to look at it as the full scope, you know, how we take care of our bodies, how we tune in with our bodies, how we tune in with our emotions. And I think when people talk about emotions, they think that it's that our emotions and our thoughts are closely tied, but our emotions are actually a part of our body. So when mm-hmm. you say things like, I feel scared, I feel tired, I feel happy, I feel angry, I feel grief you feel those things, you don't think them. And so again, it's within your body, it's not within your brain. But of course, it trickles down and it, well, it trickles up, but it really trickles Mm -hmm. down. And it affects your thoughts. But your thoughts are just kind of like the tip of the iceberg, right? Everything else is below the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, There's my tangent that I was telling you. Yeah. (laughs) But I think like it's amazing because you can come full back to how we're talking about that with trauma and our brain shuts off that so many women that no one tells us that it's normal. Well, you might not remember your birth Mm because your birth might have been traumatic. And I can remember my doctor saying to me, well, that's just 
God's way of making it so that we'll have more babies, you know, what? or say, you know, oh, saying Lord. like, you know, if we've remembered everything we, you guys might not have, cause he's a male. So he th- never has experienced it. You might have, that's might be how <laughs> you're able. And sometimes I joke with people. I'm like, yeah, if I remembered everything and it's been interesting because I recently had a conversation with one of my really good friends and she brought back all these things that I didn't even remember happened with Turner's pregnancy because his pregnancy was really hard. I was on bed rest. My pregnancies and births are, (laughs) they're a crap show. (laughs) Like sometimes, you know, when it comes to it, but now realizing how much is put into our body, like it's Mm -hmm. really the body and it was my body's way of also shutting off because it was trauma happening. Um, because with Turner, Turner, I labored for so long and it ended in a C-section. Mm-hmm. I kept saying, even to my doctor after his birth, I was like, I feel like I didn't have a baby. Like I know he came out of my body, right. but because I didn't see it and I didn't feel it. And by that point, it had been over a day of labor, no sleep because I had refused an epidural for so long. And then we went to C-section and I got preclamptic after which then you go on mag and it already clouds your brain. Yeah. So there's all these things that happen, but then no one after the fact was like, Hey, you might need to go talk to somebody Yeah. because your body has shut, was shutting itself down, which is the same thing that happened after Thatcher because his birth, like I had shut all the emotions off mm-hmm. to, not feel because of right. what could have happened in his pregnancy. Yeah. Um, then because it wasn't dealt with with Turner, it just was this current flood that just kept happening until it no longer in my body could hold. Um, but I loved how you talked about there are ways that we can find ourselves back yes. and remember the memories. And I can remember even texting you once. I was laying in bed because I couldn't re- I used to not be able to tell you anything of Turner's birthday joke that it's like going to Vegas. It was a real good time. And there's bits of, there's like flashes. I could see flashes, mm-hmm. but I could never connect the flashes. And I can remember thinking I laid there and was like, okay, what did I smell? What did I touch? What yes. did I feel? Even with Thatcher and all of a sudden I was like, I could remember more mm-hmm. than so, just trying to piece these memories together. We're sitting here on video people probably don't know that we're actually, we can see each other. And if you look at this, I'm writing little notes to myself because I write notes. It says sensory fragments. Uh That was something I wanted to bring up. As you're sitting here talking, I'm like, oh, we have to talk about sensory fragments. And you just, you just ended with it, which is fantastic. Um, Well, first of all, thanks for sharing all that. I, um, I, how do I want to word this? So when we experience that trauma, I think that, again, we get stuck because our body and our mind still thinks that the threat is present. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do is we have to get to a state where we're regulated and where we lead our body back to rest and recovery. And what people, um, I think what people should know is that our body remembers these experiences through sensory fragments. And so, like you said, things like touch, smell, sound, color, right? Those things are all incredibly important. And that's why they say like soldiers with PTSD, you know, when they're walking down the street, if they hear a bang, it triggers them, right? Mm -hmm. Anyone who's experienced any kind of traumatic event, there is something that triggers them, but it it is always through a sensory fragment. And that's how, that's how our our body communicates with the world, right? Mm -hmm. It can't talk. So it, it feels, and, um, I think that especially in the postpartum state, we are incredibly sensitive as, as, as mothers, mm-hmm. right? We pick up on everything. And so our set, we're like sensory overload, probably to a T. Like when we sleep, we are not really sleeping because we're waiting for baby to make a sound. And then when they make a sound, you like, you're up and your eyes are wide open and you're like, are they alive? Are they okay? Are they breathing? And so Mm -hmm. we are constantly listening and plugging into our environment through our senses. And so that's why I think that these, that postpartum can be even more um, 
debilitating in some ways if you've had a, a traumatic birth is because you're constantly being flooded or, or, or triggered in many ways. Um, and so, uh, you know, the only way to, to really get back to a place of grounding and a place of like, I am safe is to go through it. And, um, that's a lot of what like exposure based therapy is. And that's a lot of like what kind of going back through what, what I like to call the, the trauma narrative is, is that you have to go back and you have to find a way to, um, reflect on that experience while also reminding your body and your mental space and your emotional space that you are now safe. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like you have to go back and close the door, right? Because mm-hmm. we left the door open and we are stuck in this scary, scary roller coaster ride. Um, and so for me, one of the things that I did during pregnancy um, was, and it was a lot of convincing of my partner, my husband to do this, but I was like, I want pictures, I want video, I want everything because, you know, if something happens, I want to be able to go back and, and relive it. And mm-hmm. um, I am so glad that I did that because when my birth happened, I, of course, entered into a dissociative state. And that's just kind of how my, my nervous system works. It's how um, I handled all my other, other traumas. So it was to be expected that if something traumatic happened during this experience, and which they also say that survivors of, of sexual assault, they um, birth can be very triggering from them or for mm-hmm. them because they feel like they've lost control and they have to give up to their body and just let it do it, let it run its course. Um, you know, and also something not something painful is, is happening, um, to their vagina, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that's just being honest. Um, and so it can be very triggering for, um, survivors of sexual assault. And so I was like very, very, very open with my midwives about this. I, we came up with a backup plan and then another backup plan and then another backup plan and just everything. And, um, my photographer and videographer knew it was just, we were prepared. And because I was so in my head about it and I wanted to be in control and I couldn't give it, give it over to my body. Mm -hmm. Um, the birth was so long, you know, and then you had all these other complications, which was really scary and then made my nervous system flare up even more. And so for the first couple of weeks after, I couldn't remember most of the birth. And I just remembered it being, I I was actually in kind of a a grieving state because I felt like it was a horrible birth. Mm -hmm. I was like, it was horrible. It was awful. It was nothing that I I wanted it to be. But then when I got back those photos and videos and I watched it back, I was like, oh my God, it wasn't that awful. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm smiling in this picture. Look at how calm I am. Look at this, look at that. And so I think that it's like, um, it's easy for us to get stuck in that state until we, until we logically go back and we relive it in its reality. You know, fear can, fear can put this whole image in our brain that is sometimes not, not true. Mm-hmm. And I think what was most therapeutic for me is that my midwives, they have like a set, like every 30 second play by play detailed notes, mm-hmm. um, of my birth. And it was sent to me. And the reason they do that is because of liability purposes. If you're just, if you're born outside of, if you're born outside of a hospital, (laughs) if you birth outside of a hospital, they really want to make sure that they have, you know, dotted all the I's crossed all the T's. And so they are constantly on the computer updating everything. And so um, it was probably about a month after Noah was born that I went back and I looked at that that chart. And it was probably about 20 pages long. And I went through it and it was like, I was able to relive it again. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't as awful as I remembered. And I was like, Oh, wow, look at that. And Oh, I totally forgot about this. And I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. But it was incredibly therapeutic, because it reminded me that like, yeah, it was hard, but he came out safe, and he's safe, and he's alive, and I'm safe, and I'm alive, and everything is okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that that's just, um, that's where mental clarity and mental health really came in. um, Because I was able to have that awareness, which also helped my body to be more at ease and helped my nervous system to regulate. And so it's it's a constant tango, you know, it's like it's a back and forth between your mental system and your physical system and just keeping them aligned. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes your your mental health has to carry more for your physical health, sometimes your physical, you know, um, hygiene has to carry more than than your mental, but 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And that's even, I used to say, I wish that I had something because with Turner into the C-section and I couldn't remember, I, I like had already set up because I knew that these things had happened. Like with Thatcher that I told Jake, I was like, I don't care what it is. And if you have to stand up and we end up in a C-section and you have to look over that curtain. And I even like told my doctor, I was like, yes, it's your job to get him out, but it's also your job to make sure somebody's taking pictures because I knew that if I ended up with a C-section again, that I mentally could would probably not remember. And if that happened again, I was going to start this whole cycle. Little did I know I had all these other cycles, like right. little cans of worms that I had to close before mm-hmm. I could go back and like close the door like you talked about. And yeah. that's why I'm so passionate about postpartum mental health and even like, how are you doing? And when I talk to people and how you said, because of the trauma that happened in my body, I'm super intuitive to be like, you're not okay. And when people are like, no, I'm okay. I'm like, but you're not. So let's talk about it because I can see it. You know what? I don't know if that'll be something that for the rest of my life that I will just always be intuitive to. Um, yes. But it it does. I'm be telling you. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yep. yeah that. um it's just so important. And that's how I feel like so many women get slipped through the cracks of Mm -hmm. postpartum because we say like, Oh, I think I'm okay. You know, or we just try to push down those things. And well, and I think the thing we have to remind people too, is that like our nervous system is only an on and off switch. There's no dimmer. Mm -hmm. Right. So if we turn off all the bad stuff, you're turning off all the good stuff too. Mm-hmm. You Which can't, is what happened to me. Yeah. You can't, you can't pick and choose what emotions you want to feel um, and without feeling the others. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it is just kind of having grace and compassion for yourself, but it's hard to do that when we're living in a world that tells us we're not supposed to talk about it in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, our body can't pick and choose only select things to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no dimmer switch. And so it's either our nervous system is on or it's off. And so when we turn off all the goods or all the bad stuff, we turn off all, all the good stuff too. Um, mm-hmm. And we really need that good stuff in postpartum, you yeah. know, to help us regulate and to help us and to help keep us sane and happy yeah. because those, those hormones, you're so right. They're no joke. They really are no joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then for someone who's like deep in it and you're like, well, and are maybe realizing as we're talking, like maybe I've shut off all these motions, they will come back. Mm-hmm. You just have to work. And I know that's one thing that we worked on that I have to like tell my brain, we got to stop going down that one slide. Let's we like come over here and let's go down a happy slide yes. <laughs> and, then, and it does get better. But like we had talked about earlier where I can feel myself going back in because I can feel myself going down that slide. I now can like get off and climb back up the ladder and go down the other yes. way. Yes, exactly. It's about finding new pathways. Yeah. You know? um, and I think when it comes to, you know, mental hygiene and having that mental clarity, one of the things we talked about, I think in self-care boot camp, was, um, neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. and how, you know, our, over time, you know, we see these behaviors that, you know, whether it's avoiding, whether it's binging, whether it's drinking, whether it's drugs, I don't know, whatever it is, we see all Mm -hmm. these behaviors in the world. And I think that those are are symptoms of the the deeper issue. Um, And then below the behaviors are the, the thoughts Right. And that's mm-hmm. our, our mental. That's where it is. The the thoughts that lead us to make these decisions that are our behaviors and below the thoughts are the emotions. So the emotions, the nervous system affects the thoughts below the emotions are the inherent beliefs that we carry. And then below the beliefs is the root cause or the trauma or the incident or the experience. And I don't remember what I was going to say. Neuroplasticity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to neuroplasticity, it's like, um, you know, we can experience kind of these emotional, like you said, um, slides, you know, that take us back and we will always be triggered in some way. You know, Mm -hmm. we can't just turn off our experience. Our body remembers, our body will always remember. It's just about getting to a place where 
um, those emotions and whatever we feel within our body uh, where we have a different thought or perspective of it. So again, mm-hmm. it's the next layer up is that thought. And so when we feel those things, instead of instead of taking that that kind of fear or whatever emotion comes up when we are triggered and then immediately thinking, I'm not good enough. I am not safe. I am not valued. I am um, whatever that thought that comes up for you. Instead of thinking that, we can start to train our brain to believe different things or to think different things. And so there's something called neuroplasticity. And it's where instead of, you know, when those triggers come up, thinking the negative, you think the positive, something like I am safe, or where's the evidence that this is true, that this thought is even true, like, Mm -hmm. where's the evidence, right? Um, There's different things that you can start to ask yourself or to tell yourself. And I think I used this illustration in one of my slides during, during self care boot camp. Um, but there's a picture of a dog walking through um, like four feet of snow. And it's a husky, of course, because I have a husky at mm-hmm. home. And the first time that the dog walks that four foot path, it's like, you know, having to leap over the snow. And then the second time that it walks that path, it's a little bit more clear. And then the third time, it's pretty cleared. And by the fourth, fifth, sixth time, there's a clear path, right? And that's that's what neuroplasticity is, is you're building new neural connections and new neural pathways within your brain, and those eventually become your beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so the more that you practice telling yourself, I am safe, I am this, I am that, and giving yourself those positive affirmations and those positive visualizations whenever you're emotionally triggered um, from your experience, the more that that will just become kind of your default route, right? And And those other thoughts will start to disappear. And so the triggers will never disappear. It's just how our thoughts and then our behaviors are affected by those triggers that we're trying to, um, that we're trying to change. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And yeah, and it is that the triggers of like birth and those things, they mm-hmm. will change and, you know, of, and that that will help a lot of the mental health. You know, we don't realize that that is a huge piece of it. Absolutely. Is there any last thing that you would love to touch on in regards to mental health and or just some words of wisdom of women that may be feeling like in that dark, deep pit that you will come out? Yeah, um, I would say to just and I, it's it's interesting. I feel like this is like my go to line whenever someone reaches out to me and I just I remind people to be kind with themselves. Be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't be so hard on yourself. Um, I think that, again, a lot of this journey is probably welcoming some of those messy and hard emotions and feelings with more acceptance and more gratitude and compassion. You know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of compassion for other people, but I don't think we have enough compassion for ourselves. Yeah. You know, um, and So maybe just welcome that compassion in and just remember that um, you just birthed a child, you know, (laughs) and that's one of the things that my therapist is reminding me. She's I remember being like, Brittany, you just birthed a child four weeks ago. Brittany, you just birthed a child nine weeks ago. I feel like every week she is reminding me like you just birthed a child. You just birthed a child. And that affects your hormones. It affects your body. It affects your mental clarity. It affects your relationships. It affects your job, your environment, your circumstances. It affects everything um, in in very beautiful ways. Um, but change is just changes is difficult. And when you're dealing with trauma and change at the same time, you know, if you've had a traumatic experience, um, that can be hard because we find comfort and we find safety in our, in our routines. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we're changing our routines, if we're changing our environments, our relationships, everything can seem just so out of control. Um, But just remember that you will find a, I hate to say the word new normal, because I feel like that's thrown around all the time, but you will find a new, yeah, you will find a new routine and a new normal, you know, in this, in this life. And, um, it's just pivoting and adapting and just giving yourself, like I said, grace and compassion that some things just take time and you just birthed a baby and it's going to be okay. Yeah. 
and yeah. lean on others. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I love even how you just were like the, the new normal that sometimes I think that one thing that we don't talk about or teach women who have not had kids that you, like when they, when a baby is born, so is a mother, like you literally are mm-hmm. almost birthing like this whole new life that you were coming out of. And as yes. much as we think we have to go back to being this exact same person and teaching the same way and looking the same way, because gosh, I sure wish I could look my body because <laughs> there's a lot of trauma that's happened to my body, yeah. you know, that like we don't educate and teach women that you are literally also birthing a new yes. person inside of you. Absolutely. That's such a good point to make. I love that. Yeah. And, um, one of the things too, you know, and it's, it's interesting because as we're sitting here talking, I feel like this is, I'm probably getting like five therapy sessions worth of just <laughs> revelation. No, I mean, honestly, I mean, I love my therapist. I love having therapy, but sometimes um, I, I connect better or it's more therapeutic for me to talk to someone who's also going through it at the same time or who's been there. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like this back and forth. And it's one of the things that we've talked about in my programs that you've worked with me on is how important community is in something called um, co-regulation, which is where you are finding safety within community. And mm-hmm. study after study has shown that that is the most sustainable way to recover from any kind of experience is to do it within community and to do it with others. And I think that that's, that's just how we're, we're hardwired. I always say that when a baby cries, there's a reason why they reach for their mother or father first. You know, and that's because um, it's something called co-regulation. It's they are trying to find comfort within their attachments to others. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I ended there by saying lean on others. And I think right now you and I are kind of like doing a little bit of leaning back and forth. And um, it's it's really nice to just to be able to talk to someone about these things and to have the other person uh, be able to say, I've been there. Yeah, like you know, and not have any kind of like stain or not stain, not have any kind of shame or stigma or any kind of judgment there, mm-hmm. you know, so plug into the mommy groups, plug into your community, your, your mom community, talk to your parents. My parents have been great to talk to like my own mother, if, if you have that kind of relationship. Um, but yeah, this is, this has kind of been therapeutic in itself just to kind of have this open and honest conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Like, I'm a huge thing of like, you've got to have your people and your people that you can open up to and give the raw, honest truth of like, these are the crazy thoughts I'm having, you know, or even because then you start to notice, even I and like, some of my best friends, I can notice I can see them to start spin backwards. And I'm like, hey, whoa, now, like, stop the rope, stop the train, because we are about to like, pull out and it's not going to be good. <laughs> you know, so like having that community and those people that know you so deeply well that they can see you and see like, hold on, we're about to go down a path that is not good for you is mm-hmm. so important too. Well, and I always tell people, you know, when you trip up and fall, you always hold your hands out to like catch yourself on something. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, oftentimes we have to rely on the people closest to us to to catch us and, and help us back up. And that's just that's just being having humility and not being ashamed of um, the fact that we can't exactly do it all on our own. And I think that's mm-hmm. a lot of what motherhood is, is having humility and <laughs> humbling yourself and realizing that you can't do it all by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's the saying? It takes a, a village to raise a child. Um you know, something like that. So yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for chatting and sharing with the podcast today. If anyone wants to reach out to you after this, where can they reach you and tell them about the boot camp and things like that too? Sure. So uh, if anyone wants to reach me, they can go to good old Instagram, <laughs> uh, hop on over and you can find me at uh, the Brit Piper and I'm not special just Brit Piper was already taken. So I put the in front. So the Brit Piper uh, over on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram. And that's where I really like to um, communicate with my my community and in my space. And then outside of that, you can go to BrittanyPiper.com. 
It's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y. It's not spelled like Britney Spears. Mm -hmm. Um, So BritneyPiper.com. And I have two ways that you can kind of connect with me in a kind of a coaching, healing, wellness space. So I have a one-on-one practice. Like I said, it's the Functional Breakthrough Method. It's a three-month program. And outside of that, I also have um, a year-round program called Self-Care Bootcamp. It used to be in a group format, but now it's just kind of an individual format. So it's an online course. It's a five-week course, but you do get two coaching sessions with me. And all the information on that is kind of listed on my website if you want to dive in further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I can't wait for you to go give Noah some snuggles. I'm so proud of you on your first day away. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we didn't talk about that. Today is my first day with a with a, a nanny in the home. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm so glad it could be with me then. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was so nice. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Busy Years podcast. If you loved this episode, would you take a screenshot and share it on your favorite social media platform? If you're over on Instagram, I would love for you to tag us at the Busy Years podcast and tag me at Michelle Ann Hagen. I would also love if you could leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this episode. By doing that, it helps me to be able to create other amazing episodes just like this and help get the word out about this podcast. I would love to connect with you over on Instagram or Facebook, and you can find me at Michelle Ann Higgin, or you can join our Facebook community called the Busy Years Podcast Community. You can find that located on my Facebook page, or if you head to the link in my Instagram bios, you will be able to connect to us there. I can't wait to be able to meet you and to put a face to the listener. We'll see you next time, my friends. Hey mama, did you need someone to remind you that you are worthy of your dreams? That you can take action in the middle of motherhood? I just wanted to pop in and give you another reminder, friend, that you got this. You can do this in the middle of motherhood, no matter how busy the years get.